Well, I'm uh, very thankful to be here. I want to uh, thank my fellow graduates for, and any professors for entrusting me with, to serve in this capacity. I'm very grateful to be able to participate in this service, and especially on Ascension Day. What a joy to be able to do this. Um, I trust that our exalted Lord who dwells among us, I trust that he wants to encourage us today. But as I've been seeking him in preparation for this day, I've come to understand that it might be in a way that's a bit counterintuitive. It might be in a way that perhaps we don't even really want him to. As the scripture was just read, we saw a royal scene unfolding before us on the dusty ascent to Jerusalem. The mother with her two sons, she prostrates down before the king and she wants to make a petition. And so like a king does, Jesus asked her, what are you wanting? And she makes a request that her two sons would be able to sit at Jesus' right hand and at his left hand in his kingdom. A bold request. And Jesus responds by telling the brothers, now they don't understand what they're asking, and he asks them a question. He says, are you able to drink from my cup? Now, these brothers, they haven't yet read the end of Matthew. So to them, what they're perceiving is that this is the royal cup of a king. And in the height of their arrogance, the brothers affirm that they are able to drink from the king's cup. These brothers, what they wanted, as Jesus puts it, is they wanted to be served. That was their goal. And they were viewing Jesus as a means of exalting themselves. What they wanted was the freedom, the ability to be able to assert, assert their will upon others for their own benefit. That can be very nice to be able to do, right? Now these brothers, they were devoted to Jesus. They had left everything to follow him. They had been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They knew him pretty well by this point. And yet, they were still wanting primarily to exalt themselves. That was their orientation. And I think if we are encountered by this passage and we're just amused at their folly and then move on quickly, I think we have missed the significance of it for us. While our circumstances are certainly very different from those of these two brothers, it is a common issue 
even for those of us who are devoted to Jesus, to still primarily want to be served. This orientation, it's, it's a constant struggle. Uh, it can crop up in times when we're feeling very insecure. Fellow graduates, we're about to enter into a season of major transition. Many of us don't know where we're going, what we're going to do, how we're going to pay the bills. It can be very easy to slip into this orientation towards ourself and to forget what Jesus sent us out to do. And on the other extreme, it can crop up when we're feeling very secure. Some of us, we might have been in ministry positions for a long time, and we might have gotten used to people looking up to us as the authority, as the expert, and we can lose our sensitivity to what Jesus has called us to do. And we can get comfortable with life working out well for us and people doing the things that we need them to do for our own benefit. Brothers and sisters, do we ever see Jesus as a means of exalting ourselves? We are Christian leaders, and it's very important that we ask ourselves this question. Do we ever find ourselves wanting to use Jesus and his church to make life as comfortable as possible for us, though we do want to still follow him? What does Jesus see in our hearts when we prostrate ourselves before him and when we make our petitions? Imagine Jesus, for a moment, confronting you with that same question, what are you wanting? What are you here for? What's your aim? Being so oriented toward ourselves, it can become a little bit cringeworthy when exposed by the mere presence of Jesus. He's so different from that. And he responds in kindness, but there, he, he just shines a light on these brothers and on the orientation of their heart. I mean, literally, before the mom makes the request, Jesus had just spoken about his upcoming humiliation in Jerusalem. And at that moment, the mom comes up and she asks for her sons to be able to climb the social ladder. Awkward timing, right? <laughs> Here's what's more, is that what the brothers are perceiving as the royal cup of a king, we know, to Jesus, this is a very different cup, right? This is the cup of crucifixion and the cup of covenant. It's two sides of the same cup. Jesus drank the cup of crucifixion to be able to then offer it as the cup of covenant. And the brothers who, in the height of their arrogance, affirm their ability to drink from this royal cup, 
we will soon find them slumbering in the garden as Jesus prostrates himself before the Father and pleads for the cup of crucifixion to pass from him. And when Jesus affirms their ability to drink from this cup, he says, you will. Jesus envisions making himself a cupbearer at the Last Supper and serving these brothers from the cup of the covenant. So it's cringeworthy, right? While the brothers were seeking to be served, Jesus was there to serve. And although it can sometimes be difficult for us to perceive the difference between these two orientations, wanting primarily to be served and wanting primarily to serve are two opposite and conflicting orientations on the journey of discipleship to Jesus. Have you ever felt this inter, inner struggle where you, you want to be devoted to Jesus, you want to follow him, but yet you feel like you're oriented in an opposite way that he is? Like Jesus, he's walking to Jerusalem, and you might be wanting to keep up with him, but you're facing this way, and you're trying to walk backwards and stumbling. That's what it feels like sometimes to have this conflict within us. The orientation of wanting to be served is what I'm convinced is what we all start out with. It's the all too common path that leads to unfruitfulness in ministry. Think about the kings of the Old Testament who were all about themselves. What happened to the people? The people suffer. We shouldn't expect a lot of fruit if we go out into ministry with that orientation. And it also, what's probably worse is that it leads to division in the church of Jesus. If we go out and if we model that orientation, there's going to be a lot of fighting about whose will is going to prevail upon the other. And that's what happens to the disciples. When the other ten hear about what the two did, it says they were indignant, and there was a division among the twelve, the ten against the two. And so Jesus had to call them to himself to try to restore unity and to try to lead them in a different way. And Jesus points to the Roman oppressors, and he does this to try to uncover the ugliness of this orientation. So he's telling these Jewish disciples of his that that's what it's like, these Roman oppressors. And that's not greatness. You actually hate it. <laughs> and then Jesus calls all of us who are devoted to him to make a radical reorientation from living like them to living like him. So how do we do that? There are a couple of essential ingredients to making the reorientation. First, it involves reorienting from what we have known, the common path of our society, to what we do not know so well, the strange path of Jesus. It's a different way. It involves reorienting from socialization 
to true discipleship. We need to have a critical awareness of the one and a focus on the other. Second, it involves reorienting from a compulsive need to exalt ourselves to trusting in the Father to justly exalt us. That's very, very key. When we trust the Father to exalt us at a proper time and in a proper manner, that frees us from that compulsive need to exalt ourselves. Jesus promises that there will be an exaltation for servants. But what might come as bad news for some of us is that it's at the resurrection. So it's after we die. So service, following Jesus in self-sacrificial service, is not something we graduate from or something we work out of. It's something we do until we die. And that doesn't, that, that, that exaltation is guaranteed for us. It doesn't exclude that we're going to be appreciated at times in the present, that people are going to see what we're doing and value us. It just means that that's not guaranteed. And we need to be willing to not be appreciated, to be used and abused, even to endure humiliation because of the sinfulness of others. When you put Jesus into the sinful world, it looks like the crucifixion. That's what faithfulness looks like in this world sometimes. And if we're seeking to follow him and be faithful to God, it might not look so great for us all the time either. And third, what this reorientation involves is moving from a desire to coerce the service of others to knowing that we have been served by the king. The king has made himself a cupbearer for us and has offered us this cup of the covenant that we do not deserve. And that, ought, that can compel us to go out and to do the same, to join with him in his work, to follow Jesus into self-sacrificial service for the sake of others, for their benefit. The service of Jesus, he says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The service that Jesus is focused on is the salvation of others. That's the aim. And I think that We have a lot of different gifts, a lot of different callings. I mean salvation in the biggest sense. There's room for all of us. But I think that we ought to keep the salvation of others as our ultimate aim. We might be participating in it directly or more indirectly, but that conscious awareness that Jesus was about the salvation of others, I believe it ought to influence how we do whatever it is that we do. And to, the, to my fellow graduates, as you are discerning and praying about what comes next, let's listen for opportunities, not with a qualification that we will do whatever allows us to be served, but let's open up to hear Jesus talk about ways in which we can enter into effective service. 
for our gifts to really be used to make a difference in the lives of others. And this ought to be reflected in the major decisions that we're going to make over the next year about where we're going to move, where we're going to live, what neighborhood, where are our kids going to go to school, what position are we going to take. Let's choose, let's make those decisions based on what allows us not to be served, but to serve, but to serve effectively. So instead of walking this common path that leads to fruitlessness and to division, let's walk the path of Jesus that leads to fruitfulness in ministry, where people actually get what they desperately need from the Lord, and that strengthens the unity in the church as we model service and invite each other into it. Band, you guys can come on back up. So how does our exalted king want to encourage us today? But when we look at him, exalted at the right hand of the Father, we realize that service, it's much more than just a bothersome means to a glorious end. Because although Jesus is a king exalted at the right hand of a father, he is still a servant. He didn't become a tyrant when he went there, but he's there as an intercessor. And he still desires the salvation of all for which he gave his life. And so it turns out that service is really what reflects true greatness. And as we fix our eyes on the servant king, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of God, we can be even more encouraged to follow him into service for the salvation of others while we still have time. Whatever happens to us, because we can be absolutely certain that as the Father exalted him, so also will the Father justly exalt us too. Amen.